Retro Rebel Gamecast is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebel is released Fridays, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to TempleofGeek.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can even find us on Facebook at Temple of Geek for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. Hello. Hello. I apologize. I think I'm coming down with something, so my voice is weird. This is why. So how are you? I'm grand. How are you? That's good. I'm good. Uh, things are good. You know, I was listening to the other, to the latest, the last episode when I was writing the blurb, which is obviously shorter than the one that you wrote. And when uh, when I got done uh, reading it or listening to it and reading it, uh, I just noticed sometimes there's a different energy at the beginning of the show, and it, and it, for me, sometimes it's not always. But I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we're on different time zones and sometimes I'm waking up and coming right to the computer and you've been up for, you know, six hours or more. Mm-hmm. And and so sometimes my brain don't work at that time. And you can just I can just tell when I haven't had coffee or done jumping jacks or anything and just went right to the mic and started recording. It's completely different. It's like. There are these unnecessary pauses, uh, like someone's, someone inside my brain is trying to crank all the gears to get it going, and like words just don't work or come out, and I don't know them. I don't have them. They're not readily available. Uh, anyway, this, the last episode was just, it was very apparent to me that coffee had not been ingested. Uh, I didn't do enough push-ups or sit-ups, jumping jacks before we got started to, to get the brain, the blood flowing. So anyway, are you but, feeling better today? Have you had some coffee? Well, I, I'm making a conscious effort to not do that. So <laughs> if nothing else, uh, yes, I did get up earlier today. Um, I am drinking my coffee. I did play some games and I literally did jumping jacks. So we're going to see if if any or all of these variables have an impact on on the episode. I'm very excited for this important test. <laughs> to see exactly. Well, these, this is the kind of research that I like to do. You know, this is I don't you just don't get paid to do this stuff, so. Um, one day. One day. <laughs> soon. That's what I'm saying, soon. Soon. So, well, what have you been playing? You don't want to ask me, so. Well, uh, if you say Disco Elysium one more time, I'm going to jump through this computer screen and we're going to fight. I have finished Batman. You're welcome, world. Um, And uh, it surprised me on a couple different points. The first is, I think, as everyone knows, but just to be sure that I've clarified this, I am not a fan of Batman. I think he is a spoiled jerk. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't enjoy him. He's not my favorite. He sucks. Batman's the worst. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, very. I think you we, know, we got listen, it. Yeah. I, we're all entitled to our opinion, and that's mine. But I think it's important to praise the franchise when I think they did something right. And in this case, I think that...
that um, the Telltale series, although not canon, which I sort of wish it was because that would kind of be fun, um, although not canon, I think it provides an interesting take on the origin story. It allows you to make some interesting decisions about Batman and his character, which you don't usually get to make in right. any other medium. In fact, I can't think of any Batman games that really allow you to play Batman as a sort of bad guy. Um, which I was tempted to play him as, and I'll explain a little bit what I mean by tempted. Um, so my first playthrough, I kind of played him as your stereotypical Batman, and I went further than a lot of other people, because at the end of each chapter, it tells you how different your choices were from the majority. And some yeah. choices I made were like a 2% um of the majority to choice. know what those were. Yeah. So one of them was, and uh, spoilers for a game that's spoilers you know for, yeah. several years old. Um, one of them was I refused to have any sort of non-platonic relationship with Catwoman. So every time she tried to hook up with me, I said no. That's yeah. a really uncommon choice in the game. Um, yes, but for, I for felt obvious reasons. Well, yeah. I mean, look, you know, Catwoman is is nice and all, but I felt like <laughs> the Batman that I wanted to play was going to yeah. be loyal to Harvey Dent from the beginning, despite me sort of metagaming and knowing that he is two-faced. I wanted right. to see how that would play out, because I feel like a lot of people, the second they hear Harvey Dent, would go, oh, yeah, he's two-faced, so, like, screw that guy, let's you know right. make all the other choices. And I wanted to see what would happen if you played it, like I assumed you know, Bruce Wayne would have in real life. He has no idea he's going to become Two-Face, so there's no right. reason why he wouldn't help his friend even when it made political sense to distance himself from um, Bruce Wayne when some issues were uncovered about his family and things like that. So I did play the game quite differently, according to the stats, than a lot of people did. And I thought that I would do a second playthrough and play Batman like a jerk. You know what I mean? Like, be rude every chance I got, tell, you know, say no to everyone the chance I got, punch or really hurt all the people that I fought and stuff. Because the first playthrough, I played him sort of like a Boy Scout, you know, and, you know, a little innocent <laughs> little Boy right. Scout. And I thought, oh, well, once I finish this, I'll go through and play it a second time. But when I tried to, that's where the not really liking Batman became a challenge because Ooh, yeah. I started to play it again and I was like oh like I just I just don't care about seeing this story again like right. I want to make the other choices but like playing the first 15 minutes which is nearly identical you know like you basically have to play about an hour to get to a choice that actually makes a legitimate difference right and so I started to do it and I couldn't finish it and that's that, because that I'm not a Batman fan. Not because I didn't want to see what was going to happen and stuff. It was just like, I don't like the whole general character enough to want to do it twice. Right. And because you've played many games where you've, act, I mean, where there's repeated content and had no issues. So mm -hmm. I could, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. See, in a, unfortunately, in that game, uh, well, I did definitely try to pursue a, a relationship. And so just major spoilers for this game. Uh, I'm not going to spoil, like, the big story parts. Um, other than with Catwoman, no matter what you do, you can't have a relationship with her. Like, it doesn't matter. 
you try, you can do everything you want to, you can't have a relationship. At least I tried everything and went back and tried to make other choices and none of those choices seem to make a difference in the end she goes and does her own thing now how you get to that point and kind of where you leave things is up to you and the decisions that you make and so you can make it to where you it seems like there's hope for the future if there's other iterations or other uh, sequels which there are but um and in that it carries over your decisions. so if you play the next one it will carry over your decisions from the first one um, and I think that also is another spoiler. I, I, I think the decisions that I made, it's been a while since I played that, uh, that I made Harvey Dent never came to be like Harvey. He never became Harvey Dent, but I also played it. Really? N- yeah. Well, I, I don't think, I don't it. think he becomes Harvey Dent in this. Like, I don't think he becomes two right. face in this first one because I, I mean, I don't know if our choices were different, but I was loyal to him to the absolute end. And, you know, obviously, spoilers, people, for an old game. Um, obviously, when he uh, tries to come after you in your house, I sent him to prison and not Arkham Asylum because I thought Arkham Asylum is where everyone ends up that turns into supervillains. So if I turn, if I send him to actual prison, maybe he won't. Right. But See, they I- don't resolve that. Yeah, and I felt like there was a way to keep him from... He comes after you. I remember that. I just don't remember what happened after that. I don't think so, because I think no matter what happens, the other, like, the existing mayor gets killed, no matter what you do. So he's going to become de facto mayor whether or not you support him. It doesn't matter. And it's him becoming mayor, that stress that triggers his mental illness and causes the problem. So uh, I don't think in the storyline that that's actually a choice you can make. I think that's going to happen no matter well, what. Well, in my pretend story, he never became. <laughs> so, uh, well, that uh, Catwoman and then did just just since we're on this topic, how did you handle the Joker? The uh, Joker, not Joker. Yeah, the Joker, not Joker, John Doe. Um, I didn't agree to owe him a favor because I feel like I didn't even try to escape at any point because I was like I'm Bruce Wayne I'm bloody rich like someone's gonna get me out of here eventually so I just went around like talking to everybody when the fight broke out I stopped it like I didn't try to make a phone call I just sat patiently and waited for Alfred to come get me like I just, you know what I mean? Because I was like, I'm rich. I'm not going to stay in here. There's no, like, this is not a problem that needs solving. So I refuse to take his deal. And apparently that's a very uncommon choice as well. Right. Well, I think that if, especially if you play it, I think you may have played it in a way where uh, in the end, if you had to start over, you just start over. I think a lot of people, and myself included, play it like, I feel like, I have to make a decision here. If I don't make a decision here, then the story's not going to progress. Whereas you were like, no, what he would really do are these things. And if he doesn't do it, well, this game probably sucks because it's not sticking to, you know, who he is as a character. And, uh, and I think you'd be correct. I guess the way that I looked at it going into it, he had been, Bruce had been, uh, kind of betrayed and, and like, the world was against him at that point. I thought that there was a good chance that I was going to have to make a decision somehow on breaking out. I didn't expect anybody to come get me at that point. 
I don't even know if they knew where you were at that point, you know? Um, and so, uh, I don't know if I made a deal with him. I do know that with the Joker, the deal that you strike or don't strike with him. And then that relationship, it continues to evolve in the next game. And, uh, the next one's really good too. So if you, uh, it's, I don't know if it's as good as that one in terms of like the impact of the story and some of the things that have, I, I actually, it probably is. It's got a lot more characters. It's got Bane and, and uh, Harley Quinn in it. And Harley Quinn, that's probably next to Margot Robbie or the original version of it. Uh, uh, in any game, this is the best version of Harley Quinn. Uh, that's that I think is, she's, she's legitimately terrifying and dangerous. Um, and so like even as she doesn't trust anybody, everyone kind of fears her, including Bane. Everyone kind of fears her. So, uh, and and uh, so you got the Joker. I think uh, Killer Croc, Killer Croc, the Joker, Bane, Mister Freeze, and each one of these characters and the Joker. Each one of these characters is in a. Well, I don't want to spoil it for you. Each they're all in it though, and so if you decide to play it. I really do think that uh, you'd I'd be very interested to see how your your decisions from the first game transfer over to that one because you made so many uncharacteristic or or unpopular <laughs> for lack of a better way of explaining it <laughs> uncommon uh, unpopular uncommon there we go I'd I'd argue they were that they were are both um decisions <laughs> Look, uh, I mean, I, it might be a bit of metagaming, but I'm not making any deals with the Joker. I don't care. Like, <laughs> no, I think that's that's fantastic. I mean, I, honestly, I think that's that's great, and I'm I'd love to see how that play plays out because I'm sure they think of everything at Telltale or when they were making these games, uh, but I don't know if they played it that way. And and no, like I, that's pretty strict and straightforward. I played it pretty gray, unfortunately, but I play most of my games like that. I'm like. In this in this situation, I feel like this is the best decision in this situation, but without how I would play it, not how Batman would play it. And I think that's where the difference is for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, I do think that one one thing about this series that makes it better than actual canon for me is that one of the reasons I've never liked Batman is because essentially he's just some rich prick. Like, his right. parents are goody two-shoes, and, like, he's just spoiled, and, like, sorry they died, but, like, it's not like your life's been hard. I think the way they made changes to the backstory in this game made him a more likable character, because right. he's making a choice to do things differently from his parents, or, or not, uh, in right. this case, that make him a more complex character. And I think the dead parents trope is sort of overplayed in comic books in generally. So I kind of like the fact that sure it's the dead parents trope, but they put a spin on it that makes right. it not quite so sad in retrospect. Like he spent what, 20, maybe 30 years. I can't tell quite how old he is in the game, maybe 30 something. So he spent, you know, 20 years being sad about his parents' death only to spoilers, find out that they were bad people. You know, I think right. that gives him some depth of character and gives him some legitimate choice beyond nurture 
to give his character more flavor and that's what I enjoyed about it however I will say that not liking Batman in general does make replayability hard for me at least but I I am glad that you and Slade at one point encouraged me to play this game and it was free on Game Pass so I had the opportunity to do it without having to shell out any extra money for it Um, and if the (laughs) second one comes up on Game Pass I'll definitely play the second one because I think even if you don't like Batman the way that they've approached it makes a Batman that is more complex than the comic book. Yeah, which sort I would of agree. Should have been how he should have been from the beginning. Well, you know, from the beginning, I, I feel like you had the simple origin story that seemed to work. There was a time and place when that was fine. I think the nuance. I agree with you 100. percent I think this is a much more interesting origin for Batman. And it and it makes his decisions in the end, especially after he's already made the decisions to be Batman, and then finds out all the twists that he could go in many different directions, uh, and and the directions that he chooses to go to be different and to change and or to you know whatever, uh, I think are are interesting. So yeah, I agree with you 100. percent This this is a good telltale game. I know, and and this is the last I'll. This was one of the issues with the last episode where I noticed that my brain stopped working. It was when we were talking about the Telltale games. Yeah. And I couldn't, I could not, I I don't know why, I just couldn't grab the ideas uh, about what makes these games good or bad or what's, you know, what makes one better than the others. Uh, You know, I talked about the Borderlands one. I talked about the Telltale Batmans. I said how Game of Thrones wasn't that good. Back to the Future is not all that good. It's another one of the Telltale games. I've played almost all of them, uh, if not all of them. Um, the uh, uh, the Fables one, the uh, the one with uh, the Wolf Among Us. Wolf Among Us is fantastic. It's a really interesting one. That's the one that got me hooked. I played it on Steam. It was the one that got me hooked on all of the other ones. So they, uh, you know, sometimes they knock it out of the park with these stories, and sometimes, yeah, yeah, not so much. Anyway, so you've been playing that. Uh, I will not say I've been playing Disco Elysium, even though I've spent more time playing that game than I have played any game in recent history, including Final Fantasy XV, which I finished. But I think I only ended up playing about 25 hours. I think I put 40 hours into Disco Elysium at this point. And I haven't even left a square block of the game. Uh, But that's it. Like I said, that's all I'll talk about it for right now. If I ever finish it, thank you. It will come back. I am going. It's to come fine back when to you it. finish it, but goodness gracious, I this. You know what? I'm glad that you don't often finish games because imagine if every single episode for like three months was just you talking about the same game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this month it has been to a degree, uh, but I but I really haven't been playing anything else other than World of Warcraft. So. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of buzz. We're going to talk about some of that in the news as well. But um, with the 8.3 patch coming out a couple weeks ago, um, I had not finished like the intro quest because there's an intro quest line that takes about three hours to finish. And there, I, you know, the I'm not sure what you would attribute it to the the current fan base, the really loud minority of fans that. Um, that just says nothing is good enough, everything is bad, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes because of the negativity, it's hard to see the positive. I really enjoy Warcraft. I have not played Hearthstone in months, so, and I think I've, I'm officially done with that part. 
I, I just can't get back into it. In fact, I started, I downloaded uh, Magic the Gathering card game. So I may actually start playing that one instead. Um, it's, it's a similar model. It's free to play, but um, it's one that I've enjoyed. It was, one, it was the first card game I ever played. And so I'm interested to get back into that one. It's it's a little bit more complicated. If anybody's ever played it before, you know, it's much more complicated than Hearthstone in terms of, like, the mechanics. Uh, and and so anyway, yeah, I'm going to give it a try. But I've been playing WoW. I've, I've gotten through almost all of the initial, you know, a play or the initial uh, start starting zone areas. And they're not really starting zones. They're basically, you've got the patch. These are the new, the two new areas that you're going to be kind of doing your dailies in for the most part. There's a quest line that you have to do if you want to further the story. And at the end of that quest line, you get a legendary cloak. Well, right now I'm headed to Blackwing Lair to get my cloak. So I'm at right at the end of that. But I've had fun. It's I, I really enjoy what I'm still able to do in World of Warcraft. It's To me, it's still worth the, the subscription. Um especially because of how much content I can go back and do that I haven't completed. And that stuff's kind of easy, so it's still fun. So I enjoy it, at least right now. Blizzard hasn't ruined everything yet. We'll just get to what they have in the news. Excellent, eh? Well, I do have uh, one piece of news for our segment, and it's related... News. <laughs> Uh, it's related to the Xbox Series X. Um, and Phil Spencer, um, who obviously is the box of the boss of Xbox, as we all know, said that the reveal of the Xbox Series X could have actually been a disaster. And when they made the decision to reveal it at the Game Awards, which is way, way, way earlier than they ever decided to, he thought that it would be a, a failure, that um, the, the initial concept of getting ahead of a PlayStation with a launch when they were still at Project Scarlet sort of phase um, could have been a major misstep. But what actually seems to have happened is that it's generated a fair bit of excitement and buzz around the console, which has sort of headed off the pass of PlayStation. Now, I have mixed opinions about that, and PR as a discipline is based around the goal of uh, making a decision or a statement as a company that might influence the beliefs of others. So essentially by saying that they've beaten PlayStation by talking about it first, it influences people's opinions to some degree that that has in fact happened. Um, right. Whereas I don't necessarily believe that. Um, I am glad that they've announced a new console, but I do have some serious concerns because sometimes when you're first to market but you haven't released the product and all you are is first to market with an announcement, you are giving a very large window to your competitors to improve on what you're bringing to market and, and beat you again on, on the performance side of things. And PlayStation has a history of being the quote-unquote more powerful console and giving them about almost a year head start 
on making improvements to whatever designs they already had in the pipeline could prove to be a fairly serious misstep in time. So I don't know if I agree with Phil Spector on this, that it was a great idea to announce the console early, because all they might have really done is just given their competitors a head start, even if it's only on the amount of ports that they have at the back. You know, the information about the Xbox One X is really limited, um, but there there have been leaks, some sort of specifications, the pictures of the back ports, at least on the test models, have been released. And even adding an extra HDMI or an extra USB would still give an advantage to PlayStation in some regards. So I don't, I don't know if I agree with this. What do you think? Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you 100% on that. That, and, and again, not being in the field of marketing, but just, I'm gen- I'm one of the individuals that's, if I can afford it, will probably buy both. If I can't afford it at some point. But these are going to be more expensive than any consoles in history. And uh, the advantage will go to the one that seems to be the most versatile. For me, I don't, I'm not, loyal necessarily to either particular brand i used to be big playstation i've always been a big nintendo person but nintendo's not really competing with them anymore i already have a switch so it's really going to be a matter of which of these it'll come down it'll come down to games for me probably uh if there's if there are any exclusives that i really want and they're out now that may be the one i go with first it may be the one I have for the longest because I didn't get a PlayStation 4 until much later in the life of these consoles just because Xbox was what I had been used to. They had some of the exclusives I wanted right off the bat, and so I went ahead and went with the Xbox um, and then later got the PlayStation with some of the exclusives that came out later. So, uh, yeah, I think that for many people, knowing uh, for the for the for at least for the console companies, uh, for many people, they may go with the one that has the advantages and giving them the, that advantage by announcing early and giving them any kind of, uh, I don't know, any kind of information that they can use to uh, improve their own product. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to be in the cutthroat business like like that, like what they're doing. And all. it's just I just want to buy my console. But I completely understand your perspective, especially you being in that area or being in that field, you know. The optics of it, it may seem good at first because you're out there in front letting everybody know, hey, a new one's coming. But any information you put out there could be used against you. I I totally see that. I think it would have been great if they had made that announcement and then released the console the month later. Then they'd be first to market, uh, catapulting on initial excitement. Like, in my opinion, they should have announced the console was coming. The next month announced the price. The third month released it. Because it's crazy to allow a year of momentum to fizzle off while your competitor makes up the difference. I don't. I really don't agree with Phil Spector on this. Right. Yeah. No, I completely. I completely agree. Um, any other news? Nope. That was all I had. Well. I, oh, and I also keep calling him Phil Spector, but I mean Phil Spencer. Apologies. Phil's different person. <laughs> Spector, different person. Yeah, Spector is a bad guy. 
Yeah. Spencer's just the Xbox boss. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. I don't agree with <laughs> you, but you're not a criminal either. <laughs> Important distinction needs to be made. Yeah, I need um, to make that. So there was a there was a there was an article. Well, it's been it's been uh, published in many places at this point that Activision pulled uh, pulled all of their games from the GeForce Now network. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the GeForce Now at all, Amanda. No. Okay, so GeForce Now is Nvidia's like streaming type service. I know they have graphic cards called GeForce. I didn't know they have a streaming service. They now they have a streaming service, and it's up there. Uh, it's supposed to be up there with uh, the Microsoft X Cloud that's coming out too. So I mean, they're they're supposed to be gamer friendly. Um, but an important distinction is with the GeForce Now. If you already own the game, you can you will be able to stream it using their service. So if you already owned a game, say like you had a hard copy of it or whatever, and you, you that would be uh, as far as I understand. And you could correct me in the comments, but as far as I understand, as long as you own the game, you don't have you can use the service for free anywhere. So I can stream it someplace else, even though I don't have my hard copy of my game. Right. Activision pulled... Yeah, what's that? No, I said right, I getcha. Okay, so they pulled their games uh, from the G4... Activision pulled their games. They pulled Overwatch, Diablo 3, Call of Duty. And uh, in the... It's kind of hazy or vague or not exactly clear exactly why uh, Activision pulled the games, um, but the thought was is or the rumor is is that they are going to take those games and put them on Stadia exclusively. Um, wow. Okay. They haven't killed Stadia yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, and I know we talked about that on the previous episodes, uh, but apparently Stadia is not dead yet. Uh, they may be. You know, there are a few that may be in the throes of death uh, or making some last gasps uh, for life. But I was on some of the message boards uh, today and yesterday looking at some of these articles and, and the comments. And, and the comments seem to be almost overwhelmingly positive for Stadia. And, I, you know, in this day and age of fake news and and, you know, and and bot comments and and twitter handles and whatever else it's like i i don't know what to believe is stadia not good because i don't i haven't used it i'm not using their services because i'm not going to buy games i already have to play them somewhere else uh or play them to stream them other places you know so i'm not going to do that but apparently i mean there are people who are really enjoying it which that's fantastic and and i'm sure Stream game streaming is the future, is a future if not the future of gaming. So, uh, I definitely see the merit in this. But with Activision pulling uh, their games and going to uh, exclusively to another service, this just poses or opens another series of questions. That are we going to be in a in a situation where you have? I, I guess it's good for competition, but. I already have three streaming video services. Am I going to have ten streaming game services as well, just so I well, can play all the games I mean, that I want to play? We sort of have that problem now. I mean, forget streaming, but 
you say The Last of Us is a great game, and I've never been able to play it because I don't have a PlayStation. You know, like, I think we need to get rid of exclusives because it's really unfair. Like, there aren't many PlayStation titles that I care about, but that is one game that I've always wanted to play because everyone raves about it, but I'd have to shell out over 500 bucks to do so? Forget it. Right. No, that may, I mean, it makes sense. Um, but I guess it, if, you, if I don't have to buy my games through GeForce now, that just seems like a pretty sweet deal. If I've got to repurchase games to go through Stadia, and then I still only own a digital rights version of it, and when Stadia goes under, I don't own the rights and can't stream it anywhere else. It just doesn't seem like a good model or way to do business for the consumer at all. There's no, there's nothing good about that other than the convenience factor. And that's what you're paying for, but I'm paying full price for a, for a, a non-tangible intangible product, you know, that, that, that has questionable sometimes at best, uh, functionality depending on my internet connection. So (laughs) none of these, I don't know when you say it out loud, it's like, well, not just no, but hell no. I'm not going to do any of that. Uh, but I don't know. It, I The more and more that you see how Activision does business, the more it makes me sad for Blizzard and, and Blizzard employees and what Blizzard was before all this. And I'm not, and I'm, I'm not an apologist for Blizzard, but I'm also not such a fanboy because I am a fanboy, but I'm not such a fanboy. I can't see where things are different and, and where some of those differences are not good, uh, not beneficial, not good for the people that work there, not good for, definitely not good for the consumer, not good for the product that they're putting out. Uh, and, and I had a little bit of a kind of a story, I guess, or not, not really a story, but maybe um, a series of events that has taken place since Blizzard began and then where they are right now that that is interesting to me so i just wanted to paint this little picture real quick of of brief history of blizzard on some things that i discovered this week so watch i was watching the completionist um and he completed orcs versus humans which is uh the first game in the rts series with blizzard not it's not blizzard's first game but it is their first venture into the rts area or arena and a couple pieces of of information that he kind of uncovered that I was never aware of is that basically Blizzard in coming up with this idea they 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 kind of borrowed from other elements and this is nothing new in any other media for you to borrow or redo or revamp or reboot franchises that's something that we think is new in 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 Hollywood but it's not it's something that's been done for decades They've been doing, they've all, they, they reboot and, and remake movies all the time. They have for 100 years. Well, Activision, or it was actually Blizzard at the time, Blizzard was borrowing elements from other games to make Orcs vs. Humans. So they, they borrowed uh, from one game to kind of get the idea, the premise from, in the, in the mid-80s, I'm, I think it was Dune 2 is what it was. So they borrowed elements from Dune 2 in the 80s to more or less reskin and put out as orcs versus humans. So that's where all the resource management and blah, blah, blah. 
They borrowed from Mode of Wars, M-O-D-E, of Wars, which came out in the late 80s, which was the first game ever to use modem-to-modem communication so you could play online. So they borrowed that, and that's where Battle.net got started, and that's where they started being able to, people could play their, their, you know, competitive multiplayer matches online. That was that was huge because they were really the first to do it on such a large scale. And this is a theme that Blizzard comes back to over and over and over again, is that they find things that people do well, and then they do it better, right? They, they make it better. They make better versions of those things. Um, then lastly, Sid Meier's uh, Civilization had randomized maps. They were the first to do randomized maps and like the Fog of War type stuff. So when you were to walk around and uncover parts of the map, well, you couldn't see where you're where the other people were because there was a fog of war over there was like a fog so when you got close enough you could open up that area well what what blizzard did is they made it to where unless i have an actual unit army unit there or a building there i can only see that there are things there i can't see what's happening there so in civilization i could watch it all the time but yeah in, in uh warcraft you couldn't so essentially to sum it up Blizzard stole Mode of War's uh, modem-to-modem information, Dune 2's basic gameplay, and reskinned it, and then Sid Meier's randomized maps from Civilization to create, and then they're going to go bitch and moan about Dota 2, a game that's not even the same type of game, that they're not even directly competing with them. In fact, they completely canceled Heroes of the Storm because they don't want a MOBA. Yet, they changed the language so that you... I mean, I, I, I get why they did it to a certain extent, that they changed the language in their, in their uh, user agreement, uh, their license agreement uh, for uh, Warcraft Reforged, that they own everything and anything that you do in the game. They own everything. You can't use anything that you make in-game for anything else to make money. Or for any, you just don't own it. We own it. Anything you do, we own. Um, this seems to be pretty standard, but is that does that make it right? Does that make it good? You know, and that's I guess what my ultimate point is. Uh, Blizzard has made a career off of taking other people's ideas and making them better, and I love Blizzard. I I, I loved that they did that. It's a kind of a free country that way. You know, you you have an idea and it's pretty good. Well, I'm going to take your idea and make it better, and then if you can't make it better than I made it, well, then I'm going to make the money. And that's what Blizzard did. They just yeah. made better games. They made games that were, uh, and and they were well polished, well thought out, better versions of what other people had already put out there. You know. Well, I mean, a lot of publishers they don't have original ideas. They just innovate on existing ones. I think you could argue that right. Epic Games and Fortnite is just innovation on PUBG, like. Well, and people yeah. have. People have said that, you know. So, it's not uncommon, but I think the Blizzard of today is less about innovation for player satisfaction and more about innovating in so much it, is, it allows them further income streams. Uh, it's not... They're not right. just trying to make good features that people love or great games that people will enjoy. They are trying to, especially with their most recent release, just try to milk the fan base for as much as they can get. And I promise you that, and this is... You can say that 
that type of innovation for profit, innovation for profit will, it will kill creativity. Innovation for profit will kill creativity because you're not inspired and there's no reason, there's no motivation to change. There's no motivation to, to push the envelope. And I think that will kill creativity. And I think ultimately that will, that will stymie or inhibit their ability to be better. And I hate that because Blizzard was my, one of my favorite companies uh, for games. And I'm seeing them slowly be suffocated, you know, by, by yeah. the corporate giant. And, and, it's, and it's really sad. And to see some of the individuals like Ian Hazacostas have to go out there and be the face of the corporation. And maybe he believes a lot of the things that he's saying, but he's very creative and he loves the game and, and uh, of, of World of Warcraft, that is. And uh, World of Warcraft may be the only one that's not completely corrupted, but it just seems a little ironic right now that we're in this old god scenario where corruption is literally the theme and how much corruption you can handle uh it dictates how successful you'll be <laughs> it's uh i don't know if this is meta as well but i think it's interesting to uh to think about anyway so that's uh, that's pretty much the news that i had so um unfortunately it's more blizzard garbage and i or activision garbage let me change that blizzard Blizzard, I still love you. I know you can come back. I know you can make it. So, well, one thing we haven't really mentioned. Excuse me. Like I said, my voice is uh, is coming in and out. But uh, one thing that we haven't really mentioned yet is this is our 100th episode. This is episode 100. Woo! Yeah. Uh, so, in honor of that. Uh, we went back and looked at or listened to, and I say by we, I definitely mean. <laughs> I was Amanda about did. to say. <laughs> by we, hey, I I give credit where credit. Thank you, to. thank you. Um, by we, Amanda went back and listened, and and this is this is just, uh, I think the most impressive part of that is Amanda's not even on that episode really. So, uh, <laughs> she not. went back and listened to an episode she wasn't even a part of. Uh, our very, very first episode to look at some of the things that we talked about, just to look back at kind of where we came from and let's see, I guess, where we where we were and where we are today. And, and then I've got some questions for her about similar things and then where we're going, you know, so cool. exciting 100 episodes, 2016 is when we started this. It's very exciting. I'm, uh, you know, I've loved doing this. I love to continue to do this. So hopefully those of you that are listening uh, enjoy that as well and will stay with us. But this is episode 100. Let's recap some of the things that we talked about in our very first episode. Very cool. So uh, just for f people who are listening who have never listened to the first episode, uh, at that time, Stacy had uh, two guest hosts, Daniel and Rooster, who um, were and some of them still are contributors, uh, major contributors to templeofgeek.com. And they got together on October 31st, 2016 to discuss horror games. Now, we've recently done horror games as a topic with Frankengame. But when I went through, I wanted to identify some statements Stacy made to see if in the subsequent years his opinion have changed. So unlike our usual format, I think for this first part, I will ask Stacy some questions based on our very first episode to see if his opinion has changed from 2016 to now 2020. So are you ready? 
I'm ready. Okay, so first one. Uh, at the time, you had not beaten Alan Wake or Until Dawn. In the subsequent years, have you beaten either of those games? Uh, no. No, I have not. Uh, that should be no surprise. Um, I still have not even seen the ending of Alan Wake, like, but I have seen the ending of Until Dawn. In fact, I watched the Scary Game Squad. I watched them do, uh, watched them play the entire game and play through different uh, scenarios, and, and I watched the completionists actually complete the game, you know, so he went through all the scenarios. Uh, so I actually, I know the ending of Until Dawn. I, I am completely okay with never playing that game again. Um, although I would love to watch someone else play it because it is one of those games where there's some, you know, there's some Resident Evil scenario or, you know, uh, mechanics to it, you know, where you're wandering around picking up items, trying to f solve puzzles. But there are quick play elements or quick time events and, and uh, some decisions that you have to make, dialogue decisions that do affect... Uh, you know the future of the game or what happens and and so it's really fun it's a it's a really good game it's much better than man from medan or man of medan the the second uh game in their series that just really didn't live up to the hype didn't live up to the you know i don't know if they can capture that same lightning in a bottle but anyway they, that i have not played or have not finished either one of them but i at least have seen the end of until dawn okay that's fair so. enough uh, so the second question is so in October 31st 2016 the last scary game that you purchased and played was Silent Hill 2 what is it now wow so that's like 2001 maybe <laughs> well listen we never play games when we're supposed to so right exactly so what's the most what's the last well, horror game you played well does Doom count the the does, remix like, not, version not like the remake yeah does do yeah count? i think it counts i mean okay. the other hosts will disagree which we will come to later uh because you mentioned <laughs> doom in 2016 obviously the original um but i think that gore based horror environments do count so i would count doom so that's fine we okay can use so doom. like the there are horror elements for sure so uh i played the uh doom Re remake uh, on Xbox One, and uh, so yes, that is the last one that I've purchased. Uh, I wanted um, and almost, I almost bought uh, Resident Evil Seven. I don't know what was coming over me though, so I definitely didn't do it, and I definitely won't do it. Um, it is a fantastic game uh, for all intents and purposes for what it is. Resident Evil, if you love horror, go play it, uh, buy it. It's a good game. Uh, it's not for me because it's uh, a horror game, but Doom uh, I did enjoy. It was just enough. Uh, I guess there's you're just enough of a badass that I don't ever, f I never really felt um, in danger. I guess so. I don't know. It, it wasn't as visceral. It's pretty fantastical, and so even though I do think it has horror elements, um, I could put it aside and, and actually play it. So Doom, yes, uh, I did buy that. And I probably bought it shortly after that. Maybe 2017, 2018 is when I got it. Oh, wow. So there's been uh, a long amount of time. Oh, yeah. Before that, I hadn't bought anything. Horror game. Yeah. Nothing. No no horror game. I don't know why you guys picked that for your first episode other than the fact it was Halloween. 
<laughs> I think it was Halloween, and I how much I don't like them, and how much Rooster does like those games. <laughs> I will say I was. I think I was on the second episode, but I distinctly remember being asked if I wanted to be on this episode. But I'm not a fan of horror either, so I thought I really had nothing to contribute. <laughs> right? Yeah, it would have been me and you, like nah, and and Daniel, yeah. like. How scary are Nintendo? Games, you know, so. <laughs> but I will say, subsequently, you know, we've done several episodes about horror where I think we took a more philosophical and theoretical approach to horror that I think adds value beyond the games that we're not playing. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And other people can take that and maybe make better games, but or make good games uh, that I won't play because <laughs> we're already yeah. scared of them. So uh, based on yeah. uh, tropes and ga- horror game content. Uh, in 2016, you talked about silly tropes that uh, sort of start the scary video games, like how in Silent Hill, you get a letter from your dead wife, and you said that you would never have gotten involved in the first place over getting a letter from your dead wife. Like, you would have noped your way out of that scenario. She's dead, what can you possibly do? You wouldn't have gotten involved. So what other silly horror beginnings have you encountered in the years since that you think are quite ridiculous well first of all i want to stand by my original answer that i would not go no matter nope i would nope my way out of a letter from my uh from my dead wife two years two years dead and you get a letter no no you didn't just get that that wasn't lost she's telling me she's in silent hill nope uh well, with that said, though, I'm trying to think back. I, I, obviously, I mean, I haven't played any games uh, that are horror other than, you know, Doom Guy waking up and, and, and punching hell in the face, uh, which to me I can wrap my head around a little bit better because it's fantastical. But I have watched a lot of scary games um, because, like I said, I don't I get too into it. I'm, I get too focused and too into the game that I, I don't. Well, let me take let me take that back. Last of Us Two or Last of Us, I'm sorry. Last of Us probably is as much a horror game or survival horror game as there is out there. So I I take that back. Doom and The Last of Us, the two games that I'd say I've played horror wise, and I will play Last of Us Two. I don't know how much horror or how many horror elements there will be in that game. I imagine clickers and that whole business will be in it again. Um. So I played those two games, and I did play that, even though it took me forever to finish it. I did play it, loved it, and, you know, we've talked about it many times on the show. Uh, that said, um, most horror games have a ridiculous start point. You know, like, uh, you inherit uh, an old house in the middle of the bayou in Louisiana, you know, and it's two stories, and no one's lived there. Is that the last of years. us? Is that how it starts? No, The Last of Us starts where uh, you're, you know, you're at home. I mean, this is not spoiler territory. You're at home uh, on the news. Basically, the whole beginning scenario is uh, you. You're at home. You're talking to your daughter. It's just you and your daughter. There's no. There's. They don't really talk about what happened to mom. So it's you and your daughter. You wake up upstairs. uh, The TV's on, and in the background on the TV. You're hearing newscasts about things that are happening in and around Austin, Texas. So it's all of these, you know, these mysterious things. And then ultimately, if you sit around long enough, then you then it starts. You see the world falling apart just on news. But it's like the middle of the night. You start wandering around the house. 
you go downstairs, you can check the messages and see where your daughter was or is or whatever. Then uh, you walk into this room, which is kind of like an, an office or a study, and there's a sliding glass window, and nothing's there. And you, if you've played any games, you know the trope. Something's about to come slap up against that door really fast. And so I'm expecting it, and it happens, and it still it scares you. And uh, it's a person who looks deranged, like blood from the eyes and the mouth and stuff, and they just go smack up against the, the, the door. Then they start beating their head on the door, and you're talking to them, and you've, you know, you've got your gun drawn, and you're like, you know, stay there, stay there, and then they break through, and then they start to come at you, and you kill them. Well, your daughter's right there, and she's like, what's happening? Where are we going? And so then that's when you get in the car and you go to escape, and that's when the story kind of starts. So to me, that's about as normal as life can be before, you know, the world, <laughs> everything gets turned upside down. That, that I don't think there's any way for you to nope your way out of it. It's like it came to you. Uh, for me to go to a house that looks, for all intents and purposes, haunted before I even start this game... I'm just going to put it on the market, you know? Nope, I don't have to go in there. It's going to, I'm going to sell this house immediately. I'll find another place. So to what live. game you is know, this Bayou the house? Oh, it's a, it was a, uh, I think a steam green light game that uh, scary game squad uh, was playing, you know, five, well, let's say take five nights at Freddy's, you know, the, if you wanted to take that as a game, a horror game for with a scenario you've got a job where you're making five bucks an hour to sit and watch these you know and when you're getting you're getting your job explained to you it's like no you just got to sit here you got to watch the camera sometimes these things move in the middle of the night you got to make sure they're they are where they're supposed to be and uh, be sure that if they move and you see them that you shut the door so what if it's coming if they're moving nobody's <laughs> in it it's not it's not supposed to move no you can keep your job um, so yeah, like I said, most of these horror games have an element from the beginning that I would not play. I mean, I would not only would I not, I wouldn't play it. I'd watch it. No, but I would not be in the scenario. It's like, nah, nope. Can't do it. Love it. Won't be here. Not going to be in this job. Not going to, not going to, not going to go, you know, the FBI wants to see, oh yeah. Like the whole Look, scenario for listen, Resident Evil. You actually said in 2018 that you hate the jump scares that are in Five Nights and Freddy's. So you've obviously right. had a problem with this game for a while. And you think that the jump scares are worse than ghosts or like creepy space gore, like dead space. Is that still the same? Do you still avoid I agree. That? Yes. A hundred percent. I think that's worse. I think it's worse than like the psychological stuff. Cause I actually think that stuff is good fear. I think that's like the good type of scary game. I think the jump scare stuff is cheap. It's just, it makes you anxious and jittery, and it's it's just uncomfortable and undesirable. It's not fun, I guess, is the, is the point. The creepy, like, I'll tell you, the, the game that scared me, truly scared me the most, like I said, and has left an, a lasting impact on my life is, and I mean that in, in the utmost sincerity, is Silent Hill 2 the ending of Silent Hill 2? Like, just the atmospheric creepiness of that game leaves you with this unsettled feeling. You know, it's just done really, really well. There are ways to do jump scares uh, that 
aren't just gratuitous and like they do in Five Nights at Freddy's. Look, I appreciate the guy that made those games, Scott Cawthon. I don't know if he did them all himself or just most of it himself, but he's kind of a one-man show, so I've got utmost respect for him in that. But I, that's my least favorite type of scare. I think it's the worst type of scare, and, and it is the scariest if you want to just take impact on my heart rate and my desire to <laughs> throw the controller at the ground. Um, but if, if you're talking about the lasting impact, there are much scarier games that don't utilize jump scares at all. You know, it's it's more atmospheric or slow burn uh, psychological stuff that to me, that stuff is the absolute scariest stuff um, that has a much more lasting impact. I would say the other jump scare stuff just comes and goes and it's forgettable. I think that's fair. I I often feel like tossing the controller when a jump scare is coming. In fact, back in 2016, you said that your signature move when playing a horror game in a co-op situation was to just pause right before you get to that bit and hand the controller to someone else who probably doesn't know what you've done. Um, Do you still do that? Still funny. Funny every time. (laughs) It's the funniest. And... uh, Although I haven't really been able to do that, like if if my son enjoyed games like that, I would absolutely, I would absolutely pull that move. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's it's funny every single time, uh, but it's only funny if I know where the jump scare is, um, and I can be like, all right, it's your turn, you know, it's your turn to, to come play. Because uh, if you don't, well, then we're all sharing in that experience for the first time, and that sucks. Because then I'm going to get scared too. I can't just watch you you know, be scared. So, uh, that, which means that I will have either had to watch it or have played it myself, which is never going to happen. So, uh, at this point, I, I don't know how many times I'll get to use that move. You know, I remember specifically, I think what that move, you know, where that in, was inspired or where that came from. And that was from another really good horror game, uh, was the original remake of resident evil on the GameCube, where, um, where when you would kill the zombies, uh, they had added a feature where once you killed the zombies, they stayed wherever they were. And then over time, as you completed whatever mission or, or uh, puzzles and you further or you know furthered the story, uh, that they would begin to evolve or, or like they would change. Like over time they would change and they would start turning more red and their fingers would get longer and like sharp like claws. And then eventually you'd walk by and they weren't there anymore. They weren't even laying there anymore. And if when you, you know, the first time you see that, you're like, "Uh (laughs) Uh uh-oh. They've been here for like the last hour and now they're not here. Well, then you hear the footsteps, you know, as they're coming down the hallway. And then I was like, oh, oh, pause. All right, it's your turn. (laughs) Your turn to play. I think it's your turn. And then they pause it (laughs) and all of a sudden it's, Zombies in their face. Ah, it's funny every time. That's so funny. Uh, So uh, back then you were talking about your first scary game being Doom, the original, um, which the other host did not consider a horror game, like I said before. I do. I think that anything with extreme gore does count as horror. I mean, does the original still scare you? I mean, you've established that you've played the remake since then. So how do you feel? Is the remake scarier than the original? 
I think so. Yeah, for sure. The remake is scarier. Um, Doom three on the PC was much scarier than these, than what these next two or the last two iterations look. I've I played Doom three and it is scare much scarier. It reminds me a little bit of like Alien Isolation in, other than you don't have a gun in that game, but just the fact that the aliens or the the demons were much more formidable. Um. They would teleport right next to you, and you would hear them. And the way that the 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 uh, I guess the sound in your earphones or or you know in your in your uh, earbuds or whatever, you could hear them, kind of basically where they're positioned in the room. So if I'm looking forward and they're behind me, it sounded like they're behind me in that game, and that was pretty cool and scary. And so that game, I didn't ever buy that, but I did play it. Anyway, all that to say. Doom from the 90s is not scary to me anymore, um, but it was at the time. Uh, it was at the time, I think, because there wasn't anything else like it. And uh, what you're seeing and, and the themes of it and knowing that you're kind of in hell, even though the story was kind of loose, fast and loose, playing with all of these elements. Um, there were parts of it that, again, like I said, that with the sound up and playing it in the early 90s being younger um yeah it was scary at the time but it's not anymore no i could i could probably run through that and it not be it's not intimidating or scary or daunting at all anymore no okay but i do want to play doom eternal like i i will i think i will buy that one so when it comes out that sounds good um so at the time, you preferred playing horror games with other people instead of alone. Is that still the case, and you're just not able to do that as often? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll go back to the uh, Last of Us again. Um, I would much rather play these games with someone else. Those games are, to me, horror games and gaming in general, for the most part... Uh, nah, that's not true. There are many games that are that are just fine, if not even better, to experience alone. Uh, it's kind of the it's like reading a book. It's hard to read a book with somebody else. So, especially the role playing experiences are just fine, and and maybe even more ideal to experience alone. However, I, you know, if you watch uh, Game of the Week or. Uh, Show or show of the week or show of the weekend with X, outside Xbox or outside extra. Um, they do a lot of gameplay videos. And a lot of people do these, you know, um, videos on, on Twitch or, or uh, YouTube where you get to watch them play live. And sometimes that is fun to watch other people or to, to play with somebody else in the room. You, you've got uh, immediate feedback. Um, you can kind of use them to help you uh, or that, you know, you can kind of bounce ideas back and forth on solving puzzles or whatever it may be. So I think that there's a lot to be said for those those scenarios. Um, horror games just to me are, are one of those games that are much more enjoyable to experience in a group or with somebody else there. It's just you're not alone in sharing uh, the fear or the. Uh, the horror, um, I think the two examples that Rooster and I used, or the, the, the one major one, was with Bioshock, um, which if you may or may not count that as a horror game, but it definitely has horror elements to it. And, um, and where uh, 
he and I were sitting on the edge of edge of my bed playing that game, and it was fun because we were playing co-op to a degree where I would play it and he would play it. And there was a part in the very first Bioshock, which, by the way, is being released on, uh, I guess it's PlayStation, uh, so you won't get to play it, but uh, on PlayStation uh, is releasing Bioshock Collection on for PlayStation uh, Plus games this month. But um, we were sitting there in the very first game, and uh, there's a part where there's a there's a tram system or like a subway I think and and there was a splicer just laying there and typically if there's a body laying there you go loot it I mean that's that's a trope you just you know to go loot the trash cans or whatever you can you find a bag and it's kind of glowing you go over and you just steal everything they have and you go to loot this body and it just pops up. And it like it pops up and it goes to attack you like right when you get to it. And it was something that was unexpected because they had, they had subverted your expectations at that point. There had been so many bodies at that point you had looted that didn't do that. There was no way you would expect this one to do that. And after that point, every one of the bodies you expected to do that. So it really only worked the one time. But that one time it worked so well that the way that my bed was sitting, as soon as that... that <laughs> that body popped up the rooster ran out of the room and i fell over the side of the bed and threw the controller up in there and so like the the it killed us but uh we we both had left the building at that point because neither one of us was expecting uh anything to happen and all of a sudden this body <laughs> pops up and you're like oh shit yeah so that's great, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. It was funny. Oh, man. So, But that made it fun, and it was so much more fun to have somebody else there. So, Yeah, and I think when you share experiences like you would at a movie, it kind of makes it a little bit more enjoyable because you can build your anticipation off the other person's fear as well. Absolutely. And, but, and you, it's just, I think it's like anything else. That shared experience is more powerful. Um I think it's it's a longer lasting there's you've got something someone else we're social creatures social beings and so I think that having that it's just it adds a la- a level of flavor a level of enjoyment to it so probably all games would probably benefit to some extent from that sharing um but they don't all you don't have to do it you know but horror games are kind of a special breed where I think it's just better to share it with somebody else okay that's fair enough well speaking of bioshock at the time you said that bioshocks actually ruined old-timey music for you like you know think of the 30s and 40s which is sort of the soundtrack of that game is that still the case or have you managed to get over your fear nope every time i hear it it's still i i have like a a pavlovian fear response uh, when I hear it, it's like it, it, there are two, and I, you know what? I feel like a little bit of deja vu in this respect. Um, I feel like I said this at the time, but I feel the exact same way. I have a Pavlovian, like fear, anxious response when I hear it because of Bioshock and because of the movie Clue. So if you've ever seen the movie Clue, if you, it's a great movie, um, it's probably one of the best, for, or one of the first, if not the only, choose-your-own-adventure movie kind of uh, that's ever been made uh, where they had multiple endings to the movie, you know. Uh, but in there, there's a, there's a part where um, there are a bunch of dead bodies 
that have been accumulating and nobody knows who's killed any of these bodies. A police officer just shows up randomly. Nobody knows why this police officer just showed up. He said he was lost, but was he? But anyway, he goes into this room and they had to really quickly figure out a way to get all these dead bodies to look like they weren't dead bodies. So one of them is got... They poured whiskey on his mouth and put a hat over his head because he had been bludgeoned in the head, and so his head was bleeding. So they covered that up with a hat. They said, well, this man's drunk. There was another one uh, where they were dancing uh, with a dead body, so they had the dead body and they were dancing. Anyway, all this, they were just masking all these dead bodies by covering them up or, or making them move somehow. And the back, the soundtrack in the background is this 40s and 50s music. And uh, so from there, it, it, it gives this this strange juxtaposition of vibes you got this these dead bodies and murders happening over here and this upbeat 50s music is or 40s music is over here or maybe even earlier than that uh and so i think that's the thing is that you've got this upbeat music and this and murder or horror over here and it's a i think it's a fairly common horror trope to do stuff like that to have this really upbeat song um with something horrible going on in the background you know and so yes this the music still haunts me <laughs> <laughs> hey uh, listen i have like the opposite response but that's because uh fallout is like one of my favorite games and i don't consider it a horror it doesn't really scare me and it's got the right. same sort of music in it so i actually have the opposite pavlovian response where i actually get happy and remember fallout and it being a great game so <laughs> Oh, what can you do? Um, so in 2016, you were talking about games that you haven't played uh, because the ending was already spoiled for you. In this case, uh, you were talking about Eternal Darkness and how you, you wouldn't right. play it because you'd seen the ending already. Have you actually played Eternal Darkness since then, despite knowing what's going to happen? I haven't, and I don't know that I ever will, just because... Um it hasn't aged very well. Um, the themes do. The themes have aged well, and I think that one day somebody, and I think we even used some of those themes in our Franken-horror game, but uh, no, I haven't, and I, and I don't anticipate that I ever will. But to that point, I have seen the endings, the ending of some other games, and that has not stopped me. So it's definitely not because I've seen the ending that is preventing me from playing the game. Uh, because I have seen the ending of other games and still gone to play them because I want the experience. That's just a game that didn't age well, hasn't aged well necessarily. And um, I think just the story and, and knowing kind of more or less what happens and seeing the ending was enough for me. So That's fair. Um, and then the last question from our very first episode was about games that you were looking forward to play with, probably with a friend. Um, at the time, that was The Evil Within and the quote-unquote new, new for 2016 game, uh, Friday the 13th, the multiplayer game. Did you ever play either right. of those? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, in fact, I never even rented or, or I don't even know that I considered after that episode purchasing the evil within after i'd seen some of the um some of the uh trailers and stuff some more of the trailers and gameplay footage i was like nah i'm, I'm that's not for me i'm not i'm not gonna play that and i don't have anybody that's gonna come play that with me so uh so that's a no 
and then Friday the 13th, I have it. Uh, I've had, I have it, and I've considered getting online and just playing with other people, but I really wanted to play it with people that I know. Problem is, is I think I've got it on PlayStation, so I don't think, uh, I don't think it's cross platform, uh, cross console, so you couldn't play it, and I don't know that I've got any other friends that even have that game. Maybe Daniel does. So I think it would be fun to play, uh, and I still may do that uh, anyway. So I at least have that game. The other one I do not and have no intention of ever getting. No, that's that's totally fair. So um, what have you learned about yourself and horror in the subsequent, I don't know, three-ish years? Um because a lot of these answers are pretty similar. Is there something new about horror that you have um, learned in the games and experiences that you've had since then? Because if I were to give my opinion, it seems like you're enjoying horror through others more these days than instead of yourself. Do you think that's accurate? Absolutely. I think that... I think what I've learned more... uh, the thing I've learned the most about myself really is I've put to words, maybe defined how I can enjoy horror or what it is about horror that makes it to where I can't play it or don't, it's undesirable to play. So I think I've just really more clearly defined horror to me and, and what it is to me and, and, uh, and what kind of horror games I am open to playing, you know? So I think, which I think is important. I think you, uh, I, I think this is true about a lot of games uh, and I over the past three years. I've found there were games that I've purchased even within the last year that I, if I had really thought about it and listened to myself talk on these episodes, I would have never bought those games. I would have never bought Division 2. I would have never bought, uh, I probably would have never bought, um, oh, the... Near Automata, even though it's a good game, it's just not the type of game that I want to that I typically play uh, to you know to the end. So I don't complete games like that. They're not necessarily my favorite types of games. I don't have time to play a lot of those games. So when I do choose a game that I want to play, I need to be sure that it fits the certain criteria that in my life at this point I can't. And and I don't know that I even knew what those things were until we kind of talked about it on the show. So um, I I definitely know that there are horror type games that I will play, but I really enjoy and have found. I think that's kind of how the medium has evolved as well with Twitch and, and YouTube. I can live vicariously, I guess, in a way and watch other people play games that I thought were really cool, but I don't want to play, you know, which which I think actually, I don't think it hurts, at least not in my case. What I'm doing doesn't hurt the developer because I was not going to buy that game anyway. But maybe by clicking on somebody's video who is playing it might drive up the awareness of the game and hopefully they get rewarded in some form or fashion. You know, they, somebody will buy that game because it seems to be popular. I'm not going to play it, so it would be a waste of money. Uh, you know, I'd rather, you know, fund their Patreon with a little bit of money than spend sixty bucks on a game that I'm not gonna, you know, that I'm not gonna ever play. Uh, it's that's just kind of a foolish way to 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 spend my money. No, look, I I but get yeah. that, and I think maybe 
you just shouldn't purchase horror games because the ones you have it doesn't really seem like you get a lot of play out of them sort of as it is right well the, the like i said the ones that i will the ones that i choose to buy are the ones that i will either return to or i have every intention of finishing them and and to rent them on my schedule uh wouldn't be as practical you know it would be weeks and weeks of of having to rent them so because of that i probably i probably will buy the last of us 2 in fact i'm sure i will buy the last of us 2 i'm pretty sure i'm going to buy uh doom eternal uh i'm actually still have every intention of finishing alan wake i know i know that seems completely unbelievable uh but i still own it it is a great game and I have uh, pretty much every intention of, of finishing it at some point. It's it's really not that scary. And so um, the last time I put it in and played it, I was like, ah, it's this is not that bad. But that could be because I'm completely desensitized at this point. So Well, not completely because there are games that I still won't play. Sorry about that. I had a food delivery. <laughs> ah. No yeah, worries. Yeah, boy. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I, I feel like they're... Um, yeah, so I answered your question, which I forgot what it was. No, it's perfect. So I know that you had some questions for me, but I think we should save that for another episode because I'm just looking at the time that we've got. No, you're right. I think I think you're right. Um, and, it, and it doesn't have to do with what we were talking about anyway, so it'll be good to revisit uh, some of your first initial uh, questions and, and comments from the beginning. So we'll do that in future episodes. So, Well, that wraps up this episode of Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion and, and interrogation. All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templateek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at retrorebel at templateek.com. If you like what you hear, head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released. And rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.